Hello and welcome back to the very first episode of season two of the Mellow Compass podcast. Today we have the lovely Georgia with us. Georgia has had many roles across the music industry, from starting her career in a legal role at Warner Brothers, having studied law at university, to working as an independent artist manager and journalist. She is now senior promotions and streaming manager at Black Butter, having spent five years at Warner Records in the promotions department. In this episode, we talk about why radio is still so crucial to an artist's career and what a classic day looks like working as a promotions and streaming manager. If you find this podcast interesting, hit subscribe and even give us a rating. It really helps us share these conversations far and wide. How's everything going with you, Georgia? I'm good, thanks. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. It's such a pleasure to have you. So, Like with all of our podcast episodes, we are going to start with a couple of questions to get to know you as a person. When you're not working in music, where would we typically find you? Well, I feel like in the last year, I've become a bit of a a recluse, (laughs) a bit of a hermit. Um, Even with things easing, I'm just like, I quite like being at home, to be honest. I know that's really boring, but um, I was a real lockdown cliche and I actually got a dog. Oh, amazing. What kind of dog? Do you know what? I was actually going to ask you, dog or cat, but clearly the answer is dog. Oh, he's somewhere around here. Um, he's a miniature sausage dog. Adorable. What is something that people don't know about you? I, I'm not really selling myself as an interesting or fun person here, but I'm really good at chess. <laughs> That's a very intellectual board game. It is. <laughs> um, yeah, and that it's actually funny I, because... With the Queen's Gambit coming out, it's been brilliant because quite a few of my friends have actually started playing. So now I'm not just like doing it online with um, like 15 year olds getting trolled. Going into your um, kind of career history, quite a few years ago, you travelled to Tokyo to interview MCs on Japanese grime. Yeah. Do you have any favourite Japanese grime artists having had this experience? It wasn't, it was strange. It, it wasn't really because I, I listened to the music or really liked Japanese grime. It was more, I was just fascinated that it, it kind of was an export that was happening over there and like a subculture. And I just didn't really understand how, how it came about or how it sort of manifested over there. And I guess one of the best ways to find out was to kind of go out there and and ask them myself which was really interesting I remember I think I was prompted to even look into it because I saw that I think Skeptron and Stormzy started having quite a few shows over there so I knew that grime or UK rap was um you know there was a market for it there as I started looking into that there were definitely Japanese artists who said they were grime artists and I just thought how how can you be because I feel like this is you know something that originated like in Bow and like East London and but yeah it's similar in that there's a big counterculture element and like a rebellious element in their society the work apparently work is very tough and there's a lot of societal problems so the grime music is quite societal in tone and the production is very similar but it's sort of quite politically charged which I thought was really interesting yeah that is really interesting it's kind of I guess it's like all music, it's a form of self-expression, isn't it? How did it come about? It was strange. I just found journalism as a whole, I thought was just one of the most interesting, fun things I think I've ever really done in music because I found that the scope for what you could do was just sort of limitless. I I didn't really, I didn't know anyone over there. I didn't know any artists, but it's just with the internet, you can just 
contact anyone really. GRM, I'd, I'd written for them a few times and I just sort of pitched it to them and they were up for it. And then out there, I just think I contacted a few people just on Twitter and GRM, I think, is such a respected brand. They were really up for talking to me. That is really cool. So your background is quite interesting because you actually studied law um, and initially went into a legal role at Warner Brothers and then pivoted into promotions. Obviously, with the pandemic, lots and lots of people have been changing what they do for a living. So what I'm interested in is how did you succeed in making that move and what was the reason for making it? So I'd always actually wanted to work in music and... I sort of went about it in a really convoluted, weird way. I wouldn't recommend it. Where I sort of looked up a lot of artist managers and realised that a lot of them were lawyers first. So I thought to be a great manager, I should be a lawyer, which is bizarre. Um, So yeah, then I worked in an intellectual property team, which was challenging, but really interesting. And I'm really glad I did it. But I just sort of realised that actually it's going to be about three, four years before I'm even qualified properly or working, even working in a music firm, which is really difficult. Um, so I just thought, why why don't I just work in music without doing all of this? And luckily, um, I'd actually uploaded my CV to Warner, I think, six months prior. And they contacted me and said that they were actually looking for people to work in the sync department who could, who had a, a, some sort of legal background, who could understand contracts and um, so I just thought that, that that was sort of came at the perfect time. And I just thought it's sort of, I've been given this amazing opportunity. And I, a lot of people thought I was a bit mad because it was going to be an intern. But yeah, I just, I remember, I remember someone once said to me, they said a lot of, and I don't even drive, so I don't know how true this is or how helpful as a metaphor it is. But they said, if you're driving, a lot of accidents actually happen when you hesitate. Um, and I just thought, okay, if I'm making this decision, I just have to fully commit and actually never look back and never think, oh, what if? And, you know, a lot of my peers around me were suddenly on lawyer salaries and all these things. But I just knew, and I think I've always actually, I've always prioritized my, sounds really cliche, but I've actually always really prioritized my happiness with things. And I just, yeah, I, as soon as I started working in music, I just felt, it just felt completely right. Yeah, I think what you're saying is so true. Like you do have to prioritize your happiness because if you don't do that, then who else is going to? And there's only so much that people can say to you, um, but you know, like whether something is right for you. Yeah. And I think probably having your legal background has been a really good foundation for working in music particularly because you have now done some artist management and they all they always say um the first thing that an artist or songwriter should have is a lawyer so actually that was really beneficial for the artists that you've managed that you had that training behind you and even though you didn't choose to go down that route as a profession it's been you know being put to good use for them and then also working in the sync department. Yeah, completely. Because ultimately, you know, it is, it's a lot of fun what we do, but it is a music business and everything is all, you know, record contracts and everything. It is a very complicated business, very unique business. And I think, yeah, being able to understand that and read contracts without your head exploding, which sometimes my head still does. <laughs> really valuable. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you have 
manage some artists. How did that come about? Are there any tips that you could share with aspiring artist managers? Because I mean, lots of people say, I want to work in music, I want to be an artist manager, but really how does how does that happen it's always been through recommendations which has been really nice so the first person I managed was Kenny Allstar and that was recommended through Austin who was managing him through his management company at the time he said I I sort of I know of someone who's looking for a, a new manager and yeah so so that was the first sort of manager experience I ever had and I think the one piece of advice I'd give, which I've always felt with all the artists or creatives or anyone I've managed is always has to be a partnership. And it's almost like a relationship or if this is how you approach relationships of, you know, you have to, you have to really, you have to really want it and you almost want them to be the one. <laughs> so, um, you know, otherwise you would just resent all because it is really hard work it's not nine to five it's any hours of the day really so you have to really believe in them and and really want to yeah devote that time because you ultimately believe that that they're worth it and also yeah with it being a partnership they have to want it as much as you too so it's not just because otherwise it just won't work but yeah, I've always found the artists that I've managed, I've always really believed in them. I've known they've been incredible and they've since gone on to do insane things. Um, so Kenny also, obviously, he's incredibly talented with his mixtape madness, with his, you know, radio shows and everything that he's done, DJing all around the world. Um, Elle's the Witch, um, who is just an absolute superstar. Um, Clobo Cop, who's, you know, will be re- releasing music hopefully this year, I think brilliant and I just I've been so grateful to have had all those opportunities just to be close to people whose brains are just so amazing basically and uh, through you know it was a real honor to have worked closely with all those people because so many you just you expand your network so much I'd, I'd really recommend it but you just have to make sure that you're willing to give 110 percent because that's what I deserve and also with management I I was saying this to my friend who doesn't have a manager. He's very organized. He he just basically doesn't know if he really needs one. And I sort of was asking him, you know, what are your weaknesses? What is it? Relationships, uh, streaming services? What is it that you sort of need from a manager? And I think that's a really important conversation when you're looking to manage someone. Actually, try and be quite, um, you know, honest about it and, and, and want to do the best for them and think, am I, am I right for them? Do they... Do they really need me? How can I add value to this relationship? And if it's if it's just agreed, you know, you want to get a founder's fee or whatever, I just, I really don't think that's the right way to be approaching it. Yeah, it does have to work both ways, doesn't it? Yeah. I guess that that leads quite nicely onto, you know, the role that you're doing now. Um, you were in promotions and radio at Warner following your internship for five years. Did that come about because, you know, you have this love of um, supporting artists and helping them grow and radio is such a brilliant way of doing that? Yeah, basically. <laughs> so Great. I, uh, I, I remember I was, I actually, I used to sit right next to the radio team and when I was in the sync department and I used to sort of eavesdrop on their conversations and the lady who heads it up um Jane Arthur I remember I just used to see her every day and just think you're literally this superwoman goddess wow really inspired by her 
Um, and I remember hearing that they had a an opening for an assistant. So I, I really wanted to go for it. And I just remember hearing all their conversations and how hands-on frontline it was. And yeah, I just thought it was really exciting because I always loved the radio when I was about, I think I was about six or seven. It was quite bizarre, really. I used to say with my grandma. And I used to call in to BBC Radio Nottingham like every week. So they'd have this random competition in the mornings. And I'd call in and sort of answer the questions. And at the time, they pro- they just thought it was funny because it was like this really young person. Like, just and I just thought I was having a chat. I didn't quite, I didn't quite understand. Yeah. And yeah, then it just became this almost not like a feature, but I just I'd go on sort of every week, and I just loved it. And then I remember when I was about fifteen. We had to try and get a work experience somewhere. And I thought, oh, I really liked doing that. I'll try and um, do a little internship there. So I wrote to them and said, don't even remember that weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm calling you up bored in their summer holidays. Um, but yeah, then I went and worked there and shadowed and just thought it's amazing. I love the thrill of like live radio. Um just the news aspect I found really interesting. Just the journalism aspect. I just thought it was great and I always loved music um so it just fused everything that I loved about media and you also did some time at, at the BBC where you met your mentor Austin who is now head of Atlantic Records whilst having coffee uh, in the kitchen at the BBC didn't you and then you kind of just started talking and you know you were interested in getting into radio and you know just kind of building your network at that point so Tell us a little bit more about that, because that's quite an interesting, fun story. Yeah, it's a real sort of paths crossing. I don't know what sliding doors, I don't know exactly what the phrase is, but it's real. I'm so grateful for that moment. So just it's yeah, it was such a chance opportunity that happened. But I was really ballsy, I think, when I was sort of like 18, 19. So I was studying at UCL. I only had sort of six contact hours a week. And I think most normal people would want to like just you know not work but I I actually just was kind of bored of studying I just thought that the that the academic life and I was I just didn't find it very interesting if I'm completely honest and I got a part-time job at the BBC working for um, BBC World Service and which was fascinating it was very like research heavy um but every day I would go up to the eighth floor because I knew that's where Radio One and One Extra was. And I'd just sort of, sort of um, go and use their vending machines. So I wasn't a complete freak. I, I would have, a, have some sort of legitimate reason. Um, so, yeah, I'd do that and just have a bit of a nosy. And I was just so excited to be up there. And then one day I ended up yeah, seeing Austin and sort of asking us like oh do you work here <laughs> he's like oh no I'm and I think he was at the hub at the time and um I said I'm really I really want to work in music he said oh what do you do now and I explained and he said oh well um you know well, uh, I think I asked for his email address and then from that I think I ended up shadowing him and yeah, so many doors opened obviously the Kenny um opportunity happened and then since he's he's yeah given been very um just amazing at offering advice because I, I I think he's yeah a really kind incredible person so I've been really grateful to that and I think that that relationship I think as a whole I think there's a lot of pressure or emphasis at the moment particularly on this female to female mentoring and and whilst I think that is beneficial and important I do think actually men kind of 
should be stepping up also and finding um you know men female mentees that they can that they can bring through and help because I think you can bring someone to a table as, as a male I think far more easily than females perhaps sometimes I'm basically really grateful for that relationship and I think I'd love to see it happen more yeah absolutely I mean having a mentor is so unbelievably important because they're the ones who can really share their knowledge and experience with you and kind of give guidance as well which you know everybody needs guidance at their career at, you know really throughout it and um, obviously more times than as a person with a very deep voice i'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns but a deep voice doesn't sell b2b and advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell b2b either that's why if you're a b2b marketer you should use linkedin ads LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com/results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com/results. Terms and conditions apply. Others. Going back to, you know, your career and like we're just I'm just going to delve a little bit deeper into music plugging now like what you do day to day and to really demystify the area of that um so you started at uh, black butter during the pandemic uh, about seven months ago give us a little bit of an idea of what you do day to day as a senior promotions and streaming manager because i feel like you know streaming is a buzzword promotions is a buzzword um there's no mention of radio in promotions it's just promotions and streaming manager. So for anybody who, who is not familiar with, you know, what that is, tell us about it. So in really simple terms, day to day, I'm responsible for making sure that our artist tracks are played on the radio, which covers sort of Radio 1, 1 Extra, Capital, Capital Extra, Radio 2, 6 Music, and also playlisted on the various DSPs playlists, like Amazon Music, Apple Deezer, Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud. I probably missed one. But yeah, so day to day, it's either having pitching meetings, either with people, producers from Radio One or Capital or Radio X or wherever you want to be plugging. And also having pitching meetings with the various DSPs. And, you know, for those meetings, having like a very yeah good case as to why they should be playing your artist's music so that can include where they are in the shazam chart how they're doing sort of on the various other charts whether that's itunes you know the apple music chart spotify chart the the actual occ can include you know their social numbers the youtube views they've been having press coverage even things sometimes i even you know screen grab what pe- people are saying on twitter um and yeah, it's just it's just basically trying to form a compelling case as to why they should be supporting your artists. Mm. And is the pitching process different between each of those platforms? Like, does it differ between streaming platforms and radio? Um, I guess in some ways, I think 
with radio you're I think with a few radio stations it's sort of um updating them as to what the radio narrative is there already so which djs have been supporting the track at some radio stations and you know what what how the that case is building particularly there and why then maybe that could be moving to a playlist conversation um whereas perhaps at dsps it's less sort of granular to do with those stations and there's more to do with their one platform um story so yeah, the, the daily streams there, um, the playlists it's in and the positioning and how, how it's sort of doing in those in those various playlists. Just updating everyone as to how it's getting on in, on their various platforms, really. Okay. And how often do you pitch to these different platforms and, and radio stations? Is it on a weekly, monthly basis? Some are more ad hoc. So, yeah, it could be weekly as and when you've got new things that are perhaps coming from the US that are um dropping a bit more sort of urgently or yeah there's their schedules sort of monthly or every three weeks um and then with radio you either yeah have sort of a rolling sort of meeting scheduled with them or yeah it's, it's very much more ad hoc there's not really a fixed answer really but I'd say I'm, I'm speaking to people every week Okay. Okay. Interesting. And do you find it's harder to pitch some tracks more than others? Um, definitely. I think the harder tr- tracks are the ones that are the, the best to plug. I think, you know, it's it's easy if you've got a, someone who's already, you know, straight to the A-list or not easy, but I love the artists where it's like you're really ticking them off on specialists and building it up and getting people engaged, getting producers engaged. And you, you sort of see the shift and the growth and you can yeah you can really see that momentum's happening and I, I find that really exciting sometimes things are hard because they're new but that's yeah. an opportunity of you know you, it, you you have that planned out and you know it's what the expectation is and you know you know it, we're gonna get a few spot plays on this one and then hopefully build it up for maybe there'll be a BBC introducing conversation or you know that's hard when it's um sonically tricky so maybe it's very explicit and the edit sounds like just not very playable because it's basically an instrumental and then there's hard when the song is also maybe really slow and something that doesn't really serves a different purpose maybe on air than um than on streaming where people are going to find that track or yeah like have a cry session to themselves and I think there's, there's sometimes a different responsibility with radio, maybe, and you know how they program things. It's they they have to think about that. We, I mean, from what we saw recently with Prince Philip's death, it's like there's a an actual responsibility there with tracks that are played. So yeah, it's it's really interesting. I and I I really like that challenge. With all labels, you have your priority artists. For all artists, do you have set airplay goals for each of them? So there are definite goals it's not in terms of sort of like airplay chart positions but yeah the at the start of the campaign when say we do you know a big campaign catch-up with management we'll set out the expectations there and discuss you know where we think it will be going and who will be best and you know if they have any relationships how we layer that in and yeah so it's definitely there's always um there are always sort of objectives set out for each artist for for radio definitely and but sometimes you know they that might change some something might go to on tiktok and then all of a sudden the thing that you thought 
you know, would only be played a couple times a week, then it's a completely different conversation, which is exciting. And that's what I love about music. It's anything can happen. Yeah, definitely. We're all driven by our fans and what people are engaging with in that moment. So you've mentioned a couple of people who you work with from uh, radio producers to artist management. Which are the departments that you are most frequently in contact with to fulfill your role within the label? Mostly, I'd say marketing, usually mm-hmm. getting assets like clean wavs or lyrics. And yeah, just catching up on the timeline, just making sure that everything's still, you know, going ahead as it as it originally was. Um AR, I speak to AR so much, just getting new, sending me tracks. If someone's been in the studio, they'll send me three tracks, see what I think. Or um, similarly, I'll be asking, you know, if I'm having a plugging meeting, who who for particularly new artists, it's, you know, who they've been in the studio with. Um, if they can tell me a bit more about the tracks or how it came about, if there's not necessarily that much, you know, conventionally to say about, especially during lockdown, you know, there hasn't been like a, a live plot, there hasn't been anything. So I just, it's just finding a story and ultimately artists are human beings and it's trying to paint that picture through, you know, a screen and through Zoom of, you know, who this person is and, and the absence of people being able to go and see them in real life and see their fans it's just you've really got to I think dig a lot more and find and try and yeah find a lot more nuance um for people because it's it's a lot harder now yeah there are so many so many places and we're kind of saturated with music which is you know not a bad thing it gives everyone their own platform um and everybody has their fans it's just being able to engage with them and, and really find them um, I just want to go back to what you were saying about, you know, male mentors and how there's been a surge of female to female mentors, but it's really the responsibility of males to, you know, find female mentees and radio and radio plugging is an area of the industry that famously lacks female presence. Um, and this was brought to our attention even more so when Women in Control brought out their gender disparity radio report uh, late last year. Um, Why do you think that is? And what do you think the industry can do to tackle this? It's it's bizarre. I'm not sure. I'm trying to think what a plugger is and and how that might in like conventional gendered terms lean towards a more masculine, you know, I guess you've got to be very, got to be quite maybe ballsy sometimes but you're quite confident a lot of the time if you're going in and it's like you're a salesperson sometimes you know um and maybe I don't know men find it easier to to talk I think sometimes don't they it's very um traditionally I think that's I from what I've read and from what I've experienced I think it's women find it a lot harder I mean I think probably we're being empowered much more like there's a huge platform for female empowerment and you know Metacompass is a part of that but there has been a surge of that within the pandemic which I think is is brilliant because people have really had time to you know look at look at the industry and like look at the world and kind of find issues that surprising that they're still there in the 21st century but they are and so you know there's a real fight at the moment to 
a real fight for equality let's say and if there are any listeners um who may want to move into the area of radio promotions um what would you recommend them doing to cultivate those skills um i think just i think the internet i think we live in a in a world where opportunity is everywhere with the internet you can literally if you're a good enough stalker you can use twitter and you can find anyone and linkedin you can find anyone if you want to um and if you you know if you persevere and you can i think contact people directly go i think there are some amazing um like official schemes internship schemes that all major labels do now where you can um apply for those and internships are are really valuable at labels i think there's an amazing rate of people staying on Um, but i think you can be creative with opportunities too whether that's shadowing an independent plugger whether that's just um yeah doing work experience maybe at a community radio station i think there are so many things you can do now um that you know it's not like a traditional role there lots of people want to work in music and you know you've you've got to try and try and prove your value Mm. 100% so what are the what are the three things that you've learned in your career that you would want listeners to take away um there's I think there's an element of people like oh wing it and then say yes and find out how later which to a degree I think is good but I actually think there's a lot of value in actually admitting when you don't know something because it's far more efficient with you then knowing it and learning. And I think people, I think the music industry is something that shapeshifts and evolves constantly. I mean, streaming wasn't even around like 15 years ago to, to an extent. It's, it's like no one is an expert in this. Everyone is kind of blagging it to a degree, but the people who are maybe succeeding more are the ones who are trying to like just look constantly learn I think it's about constantly learning like TikTok if you don't know about that it's not like oh god that's for young kids you know I was like oh cringe but it's like actually I need to download that app and get up to speed with it because it's breaking so many of so many tracks so I think it's embracing change is really important I think youth culture is really important and not thinking that just because you might be moving away from that because you're getting older you have to understand that that's young people are really important and making sure that you're understanding them and talking to them and bringing them to the table to you know share their experiences is really important I probably haven't listed that in three but maybe there are three in there yeah yeah I think there are three in there yeah (laughs) and then I also think um there's a thing where yeah just not taking things personally which I'm really bad at but do you know what that's a really good one because work is it work is work right yeah um and it's a different conversation if you're having a you know a chat with a friend to your friend versus a manager to another manager you're kind of you're speaking on the level of of your accountabilities within that space um yeah and I think that's probably something that we're all learning as we develop definitely Especially yeah. in this last year, I think everyone, you know, I think everyone's been a lot more humanized in a way. Like you've literally seen into people's homes, into their lives. And it's just like at the end of the day, we are all we all have it's just nice to be nice. And I think mm-hmm. as a female as well, there's this thing of I think I used to see it as you could only be taken seriously if you were like a bit 
pissed off when you delivered things <laughs> like information or that's how you'd be taken seriously and actually you don't just look like you're moody <laughs> so yeah um, I just think just be yourself be, be be nice nice to be nice yeah nice to be nice and be yourself yeah yeah what's the best advice that anyone has ever given you um I think the first thing I said of just if you don't know something just ask yeah yeah. pretty simple but I honestly every day there are things I don't know and you know it doesn't mean I'm not good at what I do it's it's because our industry there are new things coming up all the time Mm. and we're only going to get better if yeah we all ask each other what's going on yeah and I think it's not not having any shame if you don't know the answer to something like it's better to say I'm not sure about that but I can give you what I think and then the person has the choice to kind of go okay no don't worry or yeah I'd love to hear your thoughts um and just being kind of yeah being confident with that yeah because you can tell when someone's completely like flagging something I think they just use all of the describing words I think when you lose that what I think there's so much trust with this industry and I think as soon as you yeah I think as soon as people see that in you it's it's just really it's quite detrimental Mm. yeah 100% so finally if listeners want to connect with you where can they find you can find me on I'd say just you can just talk me wherever really so I've got all of the normal <laughs> the normal social platforms um LinkedIn is really good I actually jokes aside I actually said that we reignited mine last year um because I had a had a law one like eight years ago and I found it really helpful cool that's a wrap The Mellow Compass podcast is produced by the wonderful Rosie Bennett. To keep updated on the latest episodes, hit like and subscribe and we'll see you next time. throughout it all. Oh, he's so cute.